How's it going, man? It is going fantastic. And I agree, whatever it takes to get the kids back in school, the, uh, the lack of social interaction, uh, there's actually, they're seeing an uptick in the suicide rate among preteens. I was going to mention is, that. It's huge. Like, that's unheard of. Like the rate is almost zero. It's like effectively zero. And they're seeing an increase in, you know, 10 and 11 year olds killing themselves where that's like almost never happens. Right. And, and when it does happen, it's usually because they have very, very severe and early onset, you know, uh, psychological disorders and things like that. You've got kids that are just so depressed from, you know, their, their, uh, you know, especially if their parents work in retail or something, their parents are working all day long. Uh, working more hours because you know if someone can't go to the store and get food for themselves someone else has to do that for them so they're out there risking their lives you know uh, you know with covid and everything the kids are at home they're still having this weird structure being imposed upon them but without the social interaction right and it's you know there are there are adults that kill themselves in, in you know remote office environments because of the lack of interaction and they at least have a context to it these kids don't right so, yeah right so it's a nightmare well the the adults are getting paid for it too right I and mean, that's the other at thing least yeah. yeah there's an incentive to it um i don't know how and much technically you... they could quit if they wanted to and exactly really can't yeah quit. they can't yeah, yeah i mean yeah. as as a kid as was somebody who probably has add but never got diagnosed with it or officially yeah. or anything um being stuck behind a computer screen for that long would drive me insane. I would lo- I'd yeah. lose. I mean, I have to do it now sometimes when I when I, since coronavirus and all that hit. When I would go to uh, Marine Corps Reserve duties, we've had a couple of when I had to telework, and so teleworking, I'm stuck in my house behind a computer screen on conference calls and doing classes for the allotted drill time, and it's just like, uh, I I, I get sick of it. So, and I you're can't... having to create your own structure, which right. if you have an attention issue good luck right i i have undiagnosed add as well and i've had to highly structurize my life in order to be able to be because i've always in my entire adult life have worked from home and so i i've had to uh it was actually very comforting during the the campaign tour because i was having someone tell me every day what to do and i'm like this is <laughs> this is nice comforting. yeah i like I don't this. have to figure this out by myself I've been right. running my own business and telling everyone else what to do for so long. It's kind of nice having someone tell me what to do all day long. I, right. I, it was, there was an odd comfort to it. So. Was as someone that has diagnosed adult ADD, um, I can tell you that I identify with that highly because when my day yeah. is planned and I don't have any other room to get distracted or do something else that I shouldn't really be doing that's productive, it's like, man, I got a lot of shit done today. Exactly. Yeah. It's like part <laughs> of the reason I love like having at least some kind of loose at the minimum loose itinerary in my head when i go places like on trips and try and do things i like to have you know like we're leaving the house at this time we're going we'll stop at you know whatever time for stuff i like having that that structure to to go and do things uh yeah what i've learned to do is create afternoon or day morning and afternoon to-do lists with the idea that i don't beat myself up if i don't do i just this is when I'd like to get these things done. And I try to create an order for things. And I have a very set, you know, I have a, a media and scheduling director who's got me, you know, telling me each day what I'm doing and all that. And then when on my off days, I just let my wife tell me what we're doing. There you go. And then that's, just, that, that's, I, the, I, that's I, the thing. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so I do want to say. You can't get into trouble that way, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I it's a s- lot harder to get in trouble when you're doing whatever your wife told you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to say uh, congratulations on, on getting uh, that interview with that syndicate radio program, uh, out of, out of Chicago. Um, your guy, your guy told us that you cleaned house with that. Uh, and that's awesome. It was, you know, I, I have, 
I realized how much I have learned. Uh, I, I've been uh, forged in the crucible that is arguing with other libertarians uh, in real time, <laughs> live often. And, you know, this was easy. I was like, man, you get a Democrat and a Republican. They don't they know how to do stuff to each other and play the good cop, bad cop game. I went in there and they were like, what? <laughs> well, I I I agree in theory with what Spike said, but you know, it was like they, they didn't know what to do. It was crazy. I was I was basically playing them against each other, and one of them by the end just started the the progressive Bernie bro Democrat fi finally started saying, you know, I think Spike's making a lot more sense than anyone else here is. And I'm like, well, there you go. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, Spike's yeah, sitting yeah, over yeah, in the dude, corner, just awesome. like dance puppets, dance. <laughs> that's awesome. So wait a minute, you're telling me you agree with both him and me at the same time? That yeah. doesn't sound like a real political party to it's me. It's wild. Yeah, That's exactly. crazy. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, we started off our, our podcast tonight um, at our regular time. And we just talked about uh, about the the inauguration and everything that happened with that and, the, and some of the executive orders that uh, Biden, uh, President Biden signed uh, that day. So I just kind of want to get your yep. thoughts um, about, about um, Wednesday and, and what happened and what you saw. So Wednesday, we're talking about which which executive oh, orders. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just like, just I guess the inauguration and everything that happened, just uh, in general, uh, just oh, to go I mean, off of first. So I, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't watch the inauguration. Uh, I know some of the opening orders that uh, that that came out. Uh, I didn't watch the inauguration. I didn't expect there to be any real. You know, some people thought some dramatic thing was gonna happen. I'm like. There are a ton of uh, National Guardsmen and Capitol Hill police there. There is not going to be a repeat of the six. They've they've turned you know the National Mall and the Capitol into an absolute fortress. There's not a shot in hell anything's going to go weird. Trump has already left. This is going to be the Biden show, and you know everyone's going to you know all all major media except for Fox is going to pretend that we're all united now. Um, and, <laughs> right. and, and, and that's I what I'm told is that's essentially what happened. So I didn't have to watch it to see that. That's um, like you know, let's 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 talk about some of these orders. I mean, he, he puts out a, a federal mask mandate saying that if right. you are on any federal property, you have to be wearing a mask. OK, then within hours, he and a large group of people went to the I believe the Washington Monument uh or lincoln i forget if it was the lincoln or washington monument but federal property without masks on uh yeah. and then when his uh press secretary came out to defend him she also wasn't wearing a mask and what i've been told is well but they you know they were in the same household and they were several feet away from each other okay well then why would they tell us we have to do that? right it's the old the do as i that, say not as i do Exactly. And the thing is, it's not just that they've proven that they routine and we've seen this politicians passing lockdown orders immediately flouting them whenever they feel like they want to. And then they get caught and they go, oh, I'm so sorry I got caught. And then they go and do it again. This is not just the fact that politicians believe themselves to be above their own rules. We've known that for a long time. It's the fact that they recognize how stupid the rules are in the first place. Because right. if they really thought these mandates and lockdowns were doing anything to save lives or slow the spread, they wouldn't need a rule to, to do it. They'd be doing it because it's, you know, because they want to be safe. They recognize how stupid their rulings are. It's security and safety theater, and it's not making anyone safety safer. And, you know, especially with these lockdowns, they're just ruining the lives and livelihoods of so many Americans. Well, it's it's crazy that it hasn't only happened once or twice, but multiple time of these elected yep. officials yep. saying you have to wear a mask. And then the most popular one, probably Nancy Pelosi going in to get a blowout without a mask on when yep. salons are closed. And then 
her having the goal to turn around and say that was a setup. Not not that was my fault for how dare violating you know that. How right. dare you violate my personal sanctity of getting a blowout? Like, come on, get real. Yeah. You know, that's my just favorite, that's ludicrousy. My favorite one uh was Bill de Blasio, uh uh mayor of New York City. He passes a rule saying that no one can uh, go outside for anything other than essential means. Then he continues to do his routine jog surrounded by other people. And he's not wearing a mask. And when they asked him about it, he said, well, I'm a very important person and I have to stay in good shape. Well, God forbid the rest of us try to stay in shape, Bill. Like it just showed like it just showed again. They think they're above us. They think that, you know, things shouldn't apply to them because they're special and important. But again, more importantly, if Bill de Blasio thought that telling people that they can't go outside would actually save anyone's life, then he himself would not be going outside because he would think it would be saving his life. They know this stuff is stupid. They routinely flout their own rules because they know that this is safety theater that is designed to tell us that obeying government equals safe, not obeying government equals dying. And the reality is I went to, in this campaign, I went to 35 states, over 75 campaign events, got within well within six feet of something like 15 or 20,000 people across the country. And I routinely tested negative for COVID because I took basic safety intera- safety precautions like routinely washing and sanitizing my hands. I didn't shake hands. I, I did elbow bumps. I, I, I think I shook four people's hands during the entire thing. Uh, I hugged three people, including my wife. Um, and I didn't eat after other people. I didn't drink after other people. You know, I, I tried to make sure that I would, I did just the basic health and safety stuff to keep from getting sick from anything. And I was able to stay safe. So was the entire bus crew. So was my body man. So was my wife. We were able to stay COVID free, proving that these lockdowns are stupid. Just be safe, take basic safety precautions and you will be safe. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question if I may kind of around that. Um, and you kind of already answered it and it's kind of what I thought you were going to answer with, but like, what do you think the gain is? Because it, it's clearly taking a partisan issue and, or making a bipartisan issue, a partisan issue. And so I know that some of this answer will be to make it look as bad on Trump as possible because good, bad, or indifferent, there is a very clear mark on making like the stimulus bill for example not passing it until he was out of office which i guess is my personal opinion which mitch mcconnell was a part of incidentally i know that's the crazy part about it is you have pelosi and mcconnell giving each other elbow bumps like yeah we're we're really gonna do this guy in uh, but not he, only not only did he hurt Trump, he hurt the two Demo, the two Republicans running for re-election in the Senate and cost right. the balance of the Senate. Just proving that this is not about Republicans and Democrats; it's about maintaining control. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead with your question. No, you're fine. I'm so fucking glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I I literally said we did it uh, at our podcast after inauguration day about how stupid it was for Trump that he literally not only did McConnell contribute it, but Trump almost you could justifiably say demised the voter turnout enough so that they didn't win and it, it's right. like so contradictory Any, anyway the original question sorry rabbit hole um what what's the main gain i mean like what is it a monetary gain is it a power gain is it a i don't want to say mind control but controlling the people enough to say yeah. 
if you just listen to what we say and if you just trust us, we're the good guys, do what we say and everything's going to be hunky-dory. I mean, what so, do you... So everything that Democrats and Republicans do, especially at the federal level, but really at all levels of government, it often looks weird and nonsensical when presented under their narrative. It makes perfect sense once you strip all that away and look through it under the filter of what would they do if they were all in on it together and wanted nothing more than to keep us divided against each other so that they can continue to rob us blind and hand it off to the cronies that put them in office. So let's look at how that, how that happened with COVID. The reason that the COVID virus spread so widely out of control uh, in this country in the first place, more so than any other developed country initially, is because for the first nearly two months that the virus was here, the FDA did not allow healthcare workers to test and treat COVID patients. We had American companies making uh, proven working COVID-19 test kits by the millions or as early as late January, early February, and they had to sell them all overseas until the middle of March because the FDA wouldn't give them approval to do them here. They actually actually threatened some of the initial people who illegally tested uh, patients. They threatened them with jail time if they actually told the patients that they were sick. Thankfully, those doctors uh, in engaged in civil disobedience and actually told the media what was happening. And that forced the FDA's hand to allow testing. That's what started this. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, that makes no sense because I never heard that during the campaign. I never heard, well, unless you were listening to me and, and Joe, I never heard Donald Trump blame the FDA that was created by the deep state Democrats. I, I never heard Joe Biden blame the Trump administration for not allowing testing. Why would they not say that? Because Republicans and Democrats created the monster that we live within. And they created a system, the FDA, the CDC, and the rest of Health and Human Services, that created this mess by not allowing healthcare workers to do their jobs and mitigate the spread and save lives. Simultaneously, you had states uh, that were, because of their, their regulations that were in place, they were taking COVID patients and putting them in nursing homes, <laughs> even though those nursing homes were saying, you had nursing homes saying, please stop bringing COVID patients here. We don't have the protocols in place to protect our residents who are the most vulnerable people in this country against these COVID patients. And the states went, well, the magic piece of paper thought to put them here, thought we're putting them here. That's why the virus, uh, that's why the fatality rate was nearly double digits in the opening weeks that we were finally told that the virus was here, even though it, even though we now know what it, it had been here for at least two months prior to that. Right. That led to, now again, none of this makes sense. Why would they do that? But then here's what we know. The American people went, holy crap, there's this virus that's here that we've been hearing about for about a month and a half, two months, and it's killing almost one out of every like 10 or 11 people that are getting it. We have to do whatever can happen. And the government said, oh, we got you, fam. Everyone stay inside for two weeks to slow the spread. And the American people went, all right, I guess we'll have to do that. They would have never accepted that if in, if this thing had been contained earlier on and if they hadn't actually been putting COVID patients in with the people who are the most likely to die from it. This right. led to massive devastation, economic devastation. Uh, and, and really, uh, we talk about the economics. The 
human suffering that is happening under these lockdowns. Like I said, I traveled to 35 countries. I traveled most of the continental U.S., and Joe did as well. We traveled, we, we hit something like, I think, 47 or 40, I keep forgetting if it's 47 or 48 states during the campaign. And we met tens of thousands of people. And we heard over and over again the heartbreaking stories of people who lost everything that they'd been spending decades to build up, small business owners, right. uh, non-essential workers, uh, people that can't get treatment for cancer because their states didn't allow and still in some cases don't allow hospitals to do elective procedures like, you know, cancer screenings or cancer treatments. Instead, they have to only treat COVID patients, even though that's a losing procedure, which causes hospitals to go out of business. So after the lockdowns, the states are actually in a worse position to treat COVID patients because they have fewer hospitals and healthcare workers who they had to furlough. Right. They have destroyed and decimated. And we, we aren't even in a position of being able to measure the amount of harm that's being done because it's still happening. I believe that five to 10 years from now, maybe even sooner, we will look back at the absolute devastation that happened in terms of human suffering. And we will look at it the same way that we look at the overreaction to 9-11 that led to the Patriot Act and the war in Iraq. We will look at it the same way that we look at the proven lies that led to the invasion of Afghanistan uh, that were detailed by the, the Afghanistan papers that were released. We will look at it the same way we look at Japanese internment or the Tuskegee experiments or any other proven example of government overreacting to a problem that they often either created or made worse. And so you ask what the end game is. I think the end game is what it always is. Make us scared, use that fear to get more power and use that power to hand off more favors to the billionaires who put them in office because that's what the entire thing is about make their sponsors richer and make themselves more comfortable and, and, and able to profit off of our lives and our sweat and tears. Look at these so-called stimulus bills. Right. The last stimulus bill was $900 billion, right? Just shy of a, of a trillion dollars. If you gave $600 to every single human being in this country, that would be just under $200 billion. Now, only about two thirds of Americans got it. So now you're looking at about a hundred and I think forty or hundred and fifty billion dollars. Where'd the rest Three, of that money go? Right. Three, we we did two. we covered that um, not actually I think just around Christmas. Like we looked at it, we kind of dove into into that bill um, and and kind of broke it open. We're like, okay, so that small percentage is coming to us, and they and and they yeah. thought six hundred dollars is super great. And we we kind of worked out the math on the first twelve hundred dollar check, and we're like, that's like forty five cents a day. Congress needs new furniture man i know right, right. they need, they they need new mitch furniture. mcconnell mitch mcconnell's chair is worn outdated. out we need new cushions in there for them to be more comfortable mitch mcconnell's old pelosi's old those cushions aren't what they used to be man they're it's not hurting. it's not it's and it's not lumbar supportive as someone who has lower back issues you have to have that crucial <laughs> right. 21st century lumbar support right and so does everyone that works for raytheon exactly. and so does everyone that works for amazon and so does everyone that works for the big hotel industry not the mom and pop airbnbs and bed bed and breakfast no not them the the the, the major uh hotel companies right. this was a massive sop and so was the stimulus bill before and so was the one that they're about to pass right. now it's 1. so 1.9 trillion dollars again 1400 dollars for every single american works out to less than 500 billion and again it's going to actually be closer to 350 billion where's the rest of that money going right guys? well gender uh, studies in pakistan people. obviously <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, gender studies. There's a meme that we put out on on Muddy Waters where it's where it's the you know it's giving the kid money and it says here Pakistan, this is for gender studies. And then <laughs> right. Pakistan is putting it in something that says nuclear program, and they're like Pakistan, no, yeah. like this is like 
it, it's it's absurd the kind of money that is thrown out to to cronies not just in this country but foreign dictators in other countries and lobbyists in other countries who gets screwed the american people now if it makes you feel any better most of that debt is going to be paid off by people that haven't even been born yet so if that hopefully that that solves some of the pain most of the debt you're paying is stuff that was run up in like the 80s so hopefully that that takes some of the sting off of what's what just happened it's actually your your children as grown adults and their children that will mostly pay this off. you're welcome future children well, and hopefully <laughs> hopefully biden uh hunter biden's uh credit card is paid off by now also with that chinese so. company right that, uh, they were doing business with that a lot of them had access to right. so fingers I crossed so. i have a and, I hope so. uh sorry i was just gonna say your answer to that question spike is almost exactly what i thought you were gonna say um but it doesn't make me any more hopeful if that makes sense <laughs> right so. um you know, I do... I'm, I'm nothing if not uh predictable and morose when it comes to talking about the people that are in power there we go um i do have a question this one actually came uh from my dad after i told him that uh that we were having you on uh, sure. So he was talking about um, uh, Biden's planning, you know, another $2,000 stimulus check. And this was back at the beginning of January uh, and a three trillion dollar mm-hmm. tax and infrastructure plan. Uh, so and he said, you know, that means that since the U.S. since May of 2020, will have spent nine trillion dollars on sti- stimulus. He, he he thought it'd be a good question. Like, How the hell do we pay that back? And I think you kind of already answered it with the with the, the the our kids, kids paying the debt back. But. Uh, it's essentially we're just getting our tax dollars back and they're going to want that back again. So here's here's how government spends when they aren't able to tax us directly. And, l- and let's be clear right now, government is spending nearly four dollars for every dollar they're taking in in taxes. They are running the rest up in debt. Here's how that works. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, is tapped to print out our, however much money that they need to then fed uh, lend to the U.S. Department of Treasury. So basically the Fed prints out money, lends it to the federal government. The federal government gives bonds to uh, the IRS or IRS to the to the to the Federal Reserve. And then we have to pay that off with interest over the next roughly 40 years. That's how long the, the Treasury bills last. So like I said, most of it's being paid off by people that haven't even been born yet or their children now. They're, they're not old enough to work or certainly vote. Uh, but that's how the system works. It is a, a thieving system that's based on thieving future generations. This country started a violent revolution over taxation without representation. I cannot think of anything more, <laughs> more embodying the idea of taxation without representation than creating future taxes for people who don't exist yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was one of the things I almost kind of talked to my, again, my dad about when, uh, the, the sixth happened. Uh, when or the when capital the storming of Capitol Hill happened, I looked. At, I texted him and I was like, "Oh, here we go. This is the beginning of a of a civil war," and he was like, hey, we're we're pushing it." So, um, well, and let's let's look at what's happening with that. So, there's already talk about Joe Biden uh, pushing a domestic terror bill. Now, we know what happens with bills that are meant to target terrorists and criminal masterminds. They get largely used against people who cannot afford to defend themselves in court. Right. which means it's mostly used against poor people, people of color, uh, religious and, and, and ethnic minorities, immigrants, and so forth. It's the people that can't fight back. Why? Because predators go after the easiest prey. They might say 
it's for the terror groups that the CIA sponsors. Well, why would they go after their own people? They go after the people who can't fight back because then they get to go to the American people and go, thanks to our domestic terror bill, we've put 500,000 people in prison or 100,000 people in prison or whatever. They don't mention that, you know, it was mostly people that had nothing to do with terror. They just, it's the new way to throw people in jail. Same thing with Joe Biden's 1994 crime bill. Same thing with Joe Biden's 1995 and 1996 anti-terror bill. Same thing with the Patriot Act. Same thing with pretty much every bad policy that Democrats and Republicans have you put took, in You took the words out of my mouth with the Patriot Act because right. that was such a blatant abuse yep. of, a, of a very vulnerable American situation and turning it yep. into something that if we call it the Patriot Act, everybody will think that we're <laughs> patriots and we're fighting the terrorists. But you're not really, a patriot? Come on, man. Uh, yeah. yeah it's like you don't support the, the Patriot Act, Act you're not right? American. Like, save the puppies, Act. You don't fucking like puppies? What's wrong with you, right? Like, Save the puppies, but, Act. Yeah, but That's it's what the we'll same. call the ending the Federal Reserve. We'll call it the Save the Puppies Act. And, there you perfect. Go. And, the, and, and then they'll have to pass it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Save the puppies. Sorry, my daughter is... Um, one uh, one, um, one of the uh, the executive orders that we we talked about for actually quite a, a bit of time uh, earlier was the executive order that uh, I think it had to deal with uh, the census and populations and their uh, representation in the House of Representatives. And the, the line in that that really miffed me and really aggravated me on that was like it said, without regard to their legal immigration status. Right, right, right. Um, and obviously, I went on. I was like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't agree with that. Like, yes, the census is to count people, uh, but if you're gonna go on that far, I feel that you, if you're gonna count people, then count them. Don't count them if they're not citizens. Like, figure out some way to prove citizenship during the census, and and, and go that way. I don't know. I just, I it didn't sit well with me, and I feel that that's a it's a, a the stepping stone to a slippery slope of things going wrong. It potentially is. Now, the reality is that the census has been doing that without regard to citizenship for the longest time, because right. the only thing they have in there is, are you a citizen? Well, all you have to do is put, yeah. And uh, there's no real functional way of, of uh, enforcing it. If you really want your blood to boil, I'm going to tell you something that's going to make that even worse. Here we go, uh, chat. Or, or, or as much, uh, much worse than that. So I can't again, wait, Spike, because this has been such a great podcast already. For hopefulness. <laughs> I'm going to grab another beer. Real no, quick. the hope, the hope is in kicking these clowns out of office and re replacing them with people who recognize that we do best when we are most free. That's right. the kicker. But I got to make you upset first. And then oh I, yeah. Then, then I can give you. I got to sell you on fear and and hopelessness, and then I bring you the hope. So <laughs> yes, there you go. Part. Do yeah. it. So, so like a great so pastor. So as yes, exactly. You are condemned to the hell. Fire but, and brimstone preachers of old. Wait, great there's news, more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Billy so, Mays here. So uh as you know, in the as you probably know, in the Constitution when it was founded, uh they had the three-fifths compromise. Yep. Basically, what that was was that the slave owners wanted their slaves to count the same as any other person uh for the census purposes so that they got more representation. And the non-slave owner said, wait a second, you don't let them vote. Why would we count them? So they came to a compromise of only counting them for 60%. Well, it's worse now because they count prisoners. They count people in prison populations as people that live in that district and they get more representation even though none, 100% representation, even though those prisoners not only aren't, counted, uh, aren't allowed to vote, 
and often aren't allowed to vote even once they get out. Right, they aren't if... even allowed to fill out their information in the census. It gets done for them by the local government. Oh, Jesus. You have situations, you have some rural districts in this country where 92% of their population, according to the census, is prisoners. People who cannot vote, people who uh, cannot you know, leave, who, can, who have no choice of what they're doing there. And the vast majority of those people are in there because of the war on drugs, the war on guns, and the war on sex work. Victimless crimes, not rapists and murderers and thieves or anything like that. People who were doing the same things that big pharma and weapons contractors and you know OnlyFans and Pornhub are doing every single day, but because <laughs> they don't get the big business approval to do it, they're in prison for it. Wow. Wow. Uh Somebody in our in our it, Twitch chat here just mentioned uh, with that that doesn't that speak to the failings of the criminal justice system? And I would say that yes, it does, one hundred percent, a thousand percent. Yeah, of yeah. We were we were talking about earlier. Have you ever seen a Wild Wild Country about uh, the Osho? It's a cult. Um, who? No, I don't think I have. Oh man, you're missing out because it is a great little docu-series um, Here, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna write i'm gonna type it down so i remember what's called wild wild country wild wild country um the guy walks around all the time he never talks to his people but he created a cult from not talking to his people it's fucking fascinating it's really great <laughs> actually i'll have um, to check that but out he started bussing in people to his cult people i should say homeless people so that he could control his little district with, by population size and yep. start voting on local matters to where he basically ran that little city that he was in. I'm pretty sure he got elected mayor at one point in time. That but it's, it, me. it's a similar situation to where if you just say, hmm, well, let's count all these people in the prison. And if we send them to the prison where our district is located in, very conveniently, we get more representation. We get more representation, we get more money, and we don't have to serve them because they can't vote for or against us. They can't lobby us. They can't do a damn thing. But whatever their their you know whatever their their COs are telling them to do, and, hey. and it is it's an absolute mess. And it, it also speaks to because they're also doing slave work thanks to the Thirteenth Amendment uh, that basically it didn't end slavery. It just took it out of the hands of the private sector right. uh, and yeah. made a government monopoly for for slave work. Uh, you have companies like Unicor that make ten of billions of dollars a year they're so profitable they're listed on the stock market if you're in any major mutual fund you're also probably partially invested in a company that blatantly uses american slave labor and it's so bad that in many states they have a minimum quota agreement for the number of you the people that live in their states have to be in those prisons completely irrespective of whether or not you're a danger or not if the crime rate goes down well then they just got to make more laws to put more people in the jails because damn it they have a contract with unicorn god it's bless. an absolute mess Gotta it make is make sure it happens mess. and that's one of those yeah. things that really bugs me about uh kamala harris given all of the things that she did in california in regards to that because you know that there was money in her pocket coming from corporations like that and and keeping people in in jail longer than they needed to be to keep labor cheap in california the amount of people she put in jail for non-violent marijuana crimes or just yeah. drug crimes yeah. in general for no reason and 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 yep and laughed about it and and, well, and how then, she kept that guy on death row for for years that's two what men. i was just gonna say just don't forget two about the two men. guys she kept on death row and with 
refused to return DNA evidence, but but she had that would prove that they didn't commit the murder. But she's the so, first so African American lady vice president who now apparently is Indian American or uh, Asian American. I don't know. She wore Timberlands. <laughs> she wore Timberlands. <laughs> she's she's the people's vice president. She wore Timberlands. I had people that that came that brought up the Timberlands and said, "I just want someone that's a five beta kappa or whatever her." Whatever, AKA or whatever her sorority <laughs> is. And I'm like, she intentionally and illegally kept two black men, one of whom is still on death row, on death row, even after a judge ordered her and her office to release the exculpatory evidence that they had and they refused. And we know, uh, and it was actually Mike Pence who brought this up of all people, that she prosecuted 19 African-Americans for every white American that she that she prosecuted. And not because that was who was being put in front of her, the disparity in arrest cases was only about six to one. She chose to prosecute nearly a three times, or actually just over three times higher rate than even what she was given of black people to white people. Why? Because predators pick the easiest prey, period. Alex just said that like right before you came on. <laughs> These exact words. Yep. But hey, Spike, she's real sorry about it, man. Yeah, she's real sorry oh, and I she's sorry about and she's it. one for the African American populace. She's she's one of you. I, yeah. One of me. Yeah. yeah. No, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell. No, I listen, I can tell because uh you know, 18 months ago uh, on an interview, she joked and laughed about the people that were having a hard time with their sentences that she imposed upon them that were harsher than she even had to. And she was so sorry that uh, whatever media outlet it was, I forget, uh, just recently, a couple of days ago, scrubbed that from the interview and thought no one would notice. Oh. Uh, and and I mean, this is this is the the whitewashing of of Top Cop Harris. And when I say Top Cop, she called herself Top Cop. And when she would be asked about it, she'd say during the primary, she went, well, I, uh, you know, I had to cater to some of the more conservative voters. Oh, well, my You're gosh. in California, so no, you don't. Yeah. You do not have to cater to conservative voters in California. But let's say that was the case, Kamala. Why would you put conservative voters, or any voter for that matter, why would you put pandering to voters over the lives of innocent people? Because you're a predator. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because it's easy, right? Because it's easy. It's yep. easy that way. It's yep. it's a it's an easier battle to fight, and whatever I can do to get clout and to, and again I, I think it's cool that we have a female vice president. I wish it was you. Yeah, like that's um, not yeah, none of that's the issue. I do I do think that it's cool and that she has she's not she's not a old white man. Male as vice president, like that fact, you know. But we shouldn't be picking people based upon their race or sex or religion or skin color or anything else just pick the best person I, for the job i've been saying that for I, years just pick the best person for the job there was a billboard um back when i lived in kansas city that that said sometimes the the best pick for the job isn't the right pick and it had a picture of a minority on it and i was like why? no no why like why just because well, you have a of a have a hr quota you need to meet doesn't mean you just well, and that forego. actually backfires. 
that so that backfires. There have been multiple studies about how affirmative action has actually hurt people of color and the other targeted communities to be helped by it. And here's why. If you're a major business, you aren't looking at individual cases. You ha you're just hiring. You're doing mass hirings based on what your HR is telling you. Right. Well, if you've now been handed this quota and you're told you have to hire a certain number of African-Americans, then I, as the boss of that company who wants to stay out of hot water with the DOJ, tells my HR firm, go find a department and shove it full of black people, okay? And so what they do is they create diversity departments where they basically send black people to talk about being black. They don't do much to affect the actual culture of the of the, the company. They aren't actually involved in working up the ladder because that's not one of the rungs on the ladder. They are often stuck in lower and middle management positions, basically in a boondoggle. And they're not respected by their colleagues because their colleagues are like, oh, they're just an affirmative action hire. And so it actually hurts them. It also leads to lower standards in the schools because they recognize that they don't need to put the same number of resources into the black students because they're just going to get shoved into an HR into an HR created uh you know diversity department like there has been studies on how it has actually harmed those who are people of color who want to work up the ladder the way that you that you make it so that race isn't a factor is you make it so affordable to do business in america and so affordable and desirable to hire americans that they can't help but try to hire anyone they can to fill out the jobs even if they're a racist they're just looking for someone that's capable of doing the <laughs> right job. and put the power in the hands of what we have right now is a situation where the demand for american labor increasingly is lower and lower and lower and therefore the supply of american labor is higher and higher and higher well Folks, you don't have to be an economics major to know what happens when the demand for something goes down and the supply for something goes up. The value and cost of that thing plummets because right. you have a glut. So if instead you get rid of all these stupid regulations that are driving jobs overseas and causing small companies that can't afford to put their jobs overseas to just go out of business, and if instead you just get rid of those burdens and barriers so that it's affordable to do business here, it's affordable to make things here, it's affordable to hire people here, and therefore it's more desirable to make here things here, to, to do business and hire people here, that makes the demand for the labor go up, and that makes the supply of people that are looking for good work going down, which makes the cost of that thing and the value of that thing to go up that's how you can get higher wages that's right. how you can get better compensation that's how you can get uh, uh more people that are able to collectively bargain without getting fired because the businesses are doing whatever it takes to be able to hire you and i feel like that's that platform is basically a major factor in what got donald trump elected you know whether he lived up to that standard or not um is debatable i mean he did create more jobs i'm not a trump supporter we'll just be first and foremost with that but i i don't hate everything that he did right there it, was things it, that were yeah. good and things that he'd said that could have worked but the guy the was good things that trump did some of which were offset by the bad things trump did unfortunately right. the yeah good that... things trump did was that he took out a good bit of some of the federal regulations that were largely hurting small businesses. He also did a fairly decent tax cut. That tax cut was almost completely offset for uh, lower and middle income Americans when he started his trade wars and his tariffs. It reached yeah. a point where once you factored in those tariffs, which are basically taxes that are added as value added taxes that you can't see to the end product, uh, it actually offset most of the tax cuts for anyone making under, I think it was $70,000, $80,000, any household making under that much. 
their tax burden ended up being roughly the same as it was prior to the tax cuts and their costs and stuff went up and they didn't even know why. Um, yeah. It also devastated uh, our, 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 our smaller and medium-sized farming communities that are now relying on USDA, basically welfare to be able to stay alive. Um, and, uh, but, but I will say that most of the deregulation was good. Um, I wish he had, I wish that his rhetoric on trade had just been that because I think yeah. our, our situation would be a lot better right now if he hadn't decided to engage in trade protectionism. The Great Depression proved to us that trade protectionism is not a good idea. When you give Americans fewer choices to choose from and give a reason for other countries to now retaliate against you with tariffs of their own, all you do is just cause a completely unnecessary labor and, and commerce environment that ends up hurting consumers disproportionately the worst, especially low-income consumers. It happens every single time it happened during it's what let it's what helped trigger the great depression and the depression that was before that with the uh the uh, smoot holly act um and uh it, it which ended up triggering uh the first world war and then event or actually ended up triggering the second world war because countries that were trying to recover from that had a global depression that was caused by trade wars so you know these are the things that happen as a result of economic illiteracy and and it was unfortunate that he engaged in that but the tax cuts yeah. were good i wish he hadn't then raised you know the tax on things right. with the tariffs that's uh that's when it started getting murky for me when we started going into a trade war i'm like ah the history's kind of proven that this isn't a very good thing like uh, is this safe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, and i had have we have we read about this how this went when in the past but, right and i've got I, I maybe i guess close firsthand probably secondhand relation to that trade war thing i've got a couple of buddies that are small farmers in northern missouri um and they were they were not pleased when the trade war with china started happening because that just it messed yeah. with everything with their corn and soybeans and, and prices plummeted and they were just at, at a point where they were not going to make a profit that season like, it was going to be a rough season for them and then the flood happened up there and took out a lot of stuff so it was just it was just a rough season overall I'm in the middle I, of Nebraska, buddy. I I hear I, all about corn and soy. I was gonna Nebraska say if you're in Nebraska, I knew one of you. I was gonna say I knew one of you was in Nebraska. I, I probably don't have to tell you what what that did to farms right. in the area. Here is the here is the thing, and I, I speak as someone that is uh, have have owned businesses for uh, almost two thirds of my life now, because I'm very old. Um, when, uh, <laughs> well, you look great. Uh, well, thank you. I'm technically a millennial. I'm just a, I'm an old millennial. I'm a millennial with think, male pattern baldness. I, I think I, Alex you know, is in I, that I'm boat. I'm an older millennial also. I'm, I don't want to ask you on air, like just exposing yourself, but I'm oh, no, 31. I'm 30. I'm 30 I, I will be, I will be 39 this year. I was the first year of millennials. I was li like, when they say, oh, he was the first millennial to be on a national ticket. That's because I'm the first millennial to be eligible to be on a national ticket. Right. <laughs> I'm at like, eligible. that's our age range right here. Like Alex, I guess is a middle ground millennial. You're We're, first millennial. I'm like, I'm, I'm an at old the, millennial i'm at the tail end like the very end i'm like i'm 26 now so we're so the entire spectrum we're there of spectrum of millennials right here well look at look spectrum at, show look at that it. mustache on ben that'll tell you he's a glorious he's a true millennial. <laughs> <laughs> it's just i a, can't tell because of the i can't tell because of the green is that a handlebar happening it, yeah the curl training is going super great um <laughs> we're definitely a young millennial right the I only problem you. with it is i have to shave <laughs> all of this off in like three weeks Oh, because of the military, right? Yeah, I'll be going. I'll be, okay, so yeah, make it. Yeah, play. I'm with do, it. I'm, I'm playing with it. it as much as I can. In so three weeks from so, now, I'm going active duty Air Force, so it's all coming off. 
Well, hey, then have fun with it. So as a business owner, I look at how acquisitions and costs and, and procurement works. If you are, for example, let's say that you are a maker of, uh, I don't know, uh, air conditioners or refrigerators, whatever. We'll, we'll go with air conditioners. And you mostly, you're an American, you make things in America, okay? You hire Americans. You are an American-made, made-in-America HVAC company, and damn it, you're going to stay that way. And then you find out that they just increased tariffs on the uh, aluminum and steel that you primarily get from Canada and China and Mexico and other countries. Uh, and then you find out that they put the tariff on the fuel that you often sometimes get from Canada. And then you find out they put a tariff on semiconductors. And then you find out they put a tariff on all the stuff that you are using to be able to afford to make things here in America. And now that leaves you with one of two really difficult choices. One is to increase costs and cut prof- and cut profits, which now your shareholders are pissed off at you. Uh, or, and now probably also have to fire some people and find a way to do it more. So everyone's mad now, right? You've had to increase costs. So it's harder for you to compete. You've had to hurt your shareholders by lowering profits and you've had to fire people. So your, ba- your labor people are mad at you, or you can just leave the country and go somewhere where you aren't imposed those tariffs anymore. Go to Canada, go to Mexico, go to China. And depending on how big of a company you are, you just bite the bullet and go and move to another country. Right. And if you're small enough, you just go out of business and all your business goes to that company that just left trade wars suck and mm-hmm. they suck for everyone for sure except for a handful of cronies that game the system to be able to afford to to do that because these companies that moved over to china they don't care about these restrictions they can afford to move to china they know their competitors can't they move to china they set, and other countries like china they set up relationships with dictatorships use sweatshop labor then they use the u.s military to protect their shipment all the way back here and then when it gets here, they uh, they make you pay for it. And if there's a tariff, you got to pay for that too. Yeah. You get hurt as the consumer. You get hurt as the person that used to work for them. You get hurt as your community becomes less safe because there are more people that are facing things like addiction and spousal abuse and all the bad things that come from an increasing number of people unable to find productive labor and being able to provide for their families. You lose in the fact that now other foreign dictatorships are becoming increasingly wealthy and powerful on the backs of the revenue and labor that should be right here. And it's all because of bad, big business friendly, cronyist corporatist policies that only hurt those of us who aren't in a position to actually affect who is in office. And the only way that ends is by us kicking these clowns out of office and putting people in office, libertarians, who will go there and take the power back, take all that power and freedom and money that has been robbed from the American people and put it back in your hands where it always damn well belongs. Right. And breach. We talked about this. Yeah, I'm ready to run through a brick wall right (laughs) now. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pump up speech. Let's go. By the way, Um, random sidebar, I love your use of the word crony. It's, it's great. So fantastic. Oh, thank you. Give me give me a one sentence definition of a crony to you. So a crony in this definition, because there's a few different ways to use it. But the way I define crony is uh, someone who puts their favorite politicians in office and then gets favors in exchange for it. Let's be clear. We just talked about uh, the race in the Senate races, the two Senate races in Georgia. Uh, the two parties spent something like almost I think it was like four hundred million dollars on those two Senate races. The salaries for those races are under $200,000 a year. They spent over a thousand, what, yeah, they spent over a thousand dollars per dollar that they're going to get from that in salary. If that kind of money is thrown out there, 
you better believe that there are favors being given back because oh. they certainly aren't able to pay them back directly. But what they do is for those hundreds of millions, they give them hundreds of billions every year. They give them trillions. It's the best investment the out there. Best investment you can make. Yeah, and the re- when people say, how do we get uh, politics out of money? Or how do we get money out of politics? I say, we got to get politics out of money. If I'm a big business, if I'm a multi-billionaire, and I know that I can either go and try to compete in the market to try to provide value to people and get money from them, or I can just saunter over to DC or 50 state capitals and go make friends there and say, hey, why don't you just give me a few trillion bucks? Which way am I going to go? I'm going to go again where, the, where it's easiest for me to be able to profit. Sure and money. the easiest yeah. way for a billionaire to become a mega billionaire in this country is to make friends and influence people in positions of power. When you right. decentralize, when you take the power out of the hands of such a small, cynical handful of people and decentralize it and put it back in the hands of individuals and communities to be able to decide with their own freedom and power and money back how they want their communities to look, how they want their schools to look, how they want their their uh, police to look, how they want their first responders to look, how they want their roads to look, how they want their civil societies to look and to be able to thrive and prosper not by, by getting rid of social safety nets, but by putting the ladders back so people can climb out of them and help others who can't climb out of them, by being able to set up things like mutual aid and charity without being robbed of half of their money by federal and state government uh, extortionists who are just robbing them blind and giving them back little crumbs of their own bread if they see fit that, to do so. When we do that, we also get rid of the cronies because now if I'm a mega billionaire and I know that I can't just go to a politician and get them to hand me trillions of dollars, now I go... Well, I guess I better go find a way to provide value to all these consumers out here. That's right. a way to get rich. And right. now the consumer wins. Right. Yeah. We t- I talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, just about, you know, congressional term limits, uh, making sure that, you know, if if for some reason somebody uh, in Congress was making a million dollars plus a year that we audit them to figure out where this money is coming from, and, you know, just things like that to keep to, to, to keep just just ideas, I guess, um, to keep, you know, to keep that more for the people like it was like it was originally intended rather than them having their pockets lined and padded from PACs, super PACs, lobbyists and whatever corporation wants their interest pushed. I'm certainly not against it. The problem is that they're not getting money directly. So here's how this works. They are getting their campaigns filled with money. Okay. And they go, well, this isn't my money. This is my campaign. And then when they get out of office, <laughs> hmm. when they get out of office and they got all this campaign money sitting there, they go, well, I guess I'm going to have to form a super PAC. And then they form a super PAC that they can live off of. It's insane. Now, they have to still do political stuff. Right. But there's a lot of political stuff that just so happens to be how they live. And also, you know, they're in positions where they get to do all the insider trading because they know what's going to happen before it happens because right. they're the ones who make it happen. So, like, mm-hmm. for example, the politicians, including uh, Loeffler, one of the one of the uh, politicians who was one of the senators who was just replaced with uh, uh, Warnock. Um, she uh, she knew uh, what was coming down the pike uh, in terms of regulations during the COVID era. And so she, she pulled her shares out. Yep. I remember that. And everybody was up in a rage, which I mean, rightfully so, which is, this was one of the executive orders that I did agree with that Biden signed was the basically him putting ethics back in, like into politics, essentially like that. That sounds a little bit like inside trading. 
to me. It is insider trading. It's 100% inside. It's not only insider trading, it's manipulating the market. They didn't get told it. They did it. Right. It's punishable by law to just know the information. So to cause the information that you now know would seem as if that would be somewhat punishable by law. I don't know. It's all well, the only people who can punish them are Congress. Oh, weird. And strange how that works. That they're all just how that works. Yeah. we do have a a good question um from our, our live audience here. Um one of our viewers wants to know what uh your ideas for are for education in this country. Uh he said that he feels that most Americans aren't smart enough or have the ability for critical thinking. Uh, most people vote against their better interests because they are easily manipulated. Uh, the change that you're speaking about uh, it would require an educated populace. So here's here's where we are with education. Uh, in the 19, I believe 1979, the federal government said education's not doing very well in this country. The uh, the um, literacy rate has dropped somewhat, and uh, the student to teacher ratio continues to rise. Well, damn it, we're going to fix that. So they created from a, a, another agency they created the federal department of education and since its creation over the last uh what 49 years uh or for, 41 years uh they have spent once you factor in inflation they have spent something around three trillion dollars and during that time the literacy rate has i know this is going to shock you continued to drop what? slowly but continued to <laughs> yeah i know i know i know i know and then i mean it's gonna, it's gonna hit you even doesn't harder. sound right spike uh, <laughs> the student-to-teacher ratio has, brace yourselves, continued to rise. And there's been largely no real change in its trajectory because it turns out that robbing school districts of money and having the federal government run it isn't an effective way to educate children. Well, who would have so thought? we have now, and, and, every, and it's actually worse because on every single metric except test scores – Everything's gotten worse. Actual math proficiency has gotten worse. Actual English proficiency and literacy has gotten worse. What's gone up? The test scores. Why? Because all they teach kids to do now is take tests. Yep. They're not learning anything. The teachers if, if, increasingly aren't allowed to teach anything. And, and, and I've talked to so many school district uh, people that are parts of their school district uh, when I traveled across the country. And they said, our job now, our job used to be to implement ideas for our school district. Our job now is to receive the newest edicts from the federal and state governments and figure out how to comply with it with the resources that we have. They aren't uh, able to educate children. My mother is an eighth grade science teacher and my sister is a seventh grade English teacher. And it is ridiculous. My mom's been doing it for like 25 years. How she has to dress up assignments to look like she's teaching towards the test but she's actually teaching just whatever she wants right because she just wants to teach the kids real things most of them don't know how to read a clock all they know how to do is to tell time on an analog clock and read the numbers so she has to dress up a roman numeral moon experiment or something like that i don't even remember what it is but it's how to read a clock we are creating I think we're in our third generation of Scantron babies that, and I'm just probably that first. They don't, I hate those are increasingly, if we know how to critically think, if we are prepared for life, it's largely because of things we learned outside of school. Okay. 
And here's yep. the problem. And, and now you have this thing where in order to be able to get around the restrictions and the test standards, uh, they just increasingly label children special needs and put them on drugs. And yep. they put them in special needs classes where the special needs teachers who are taught to teach small groups of actual special needs uh, kids are increasingly just babysitters for kids who just weren't able to keep up with the testing standards because most kids don't think that way. And then they're coming up with stuff like oppositional defiance disorder. You mean being a kid? <laughs> yeah, like just being a normal right? kid in a place being he doesn't bored. want to be. <laughs> so your, your questioner asked, what's the answer? And obviously the answer isn't to just complain about it. Our answer is this. The federal government has clearly failed. Abolish the Department of Education and take all of that money that's being robbed from parents and teachers and school districts. Take all of that freedom and ability to make choices and put it back in the hands of the teachers and the students and the parents and the students and the schools and the school districts to decide as individuals and schools and communities what they want their schools to look like. Not only does that keep the money more localized and remove all of the bureaucracy that, that drives up the cost, but those schools will actually be accountable because it's much easier to go to your school board meeting and say, hey, I think my kids need this than to go and try to talk to Joe Biden right right now in his fortress <laughs> right yeah it doesn't work the answer to pretty much everything is get the feds out of it and put it in the hands of either preferably the communities and the individual but if nothing else the states but i would say go down even further because the state is really just a slightly smaller version of the same monster in dc just go right. and give it back to communities and individuals and and where it's where they're much more accountable and where now you can have multiple different people trying different things and they can look at each other and go oh wow you know what they're doing actually makes sense oh wow i'm glad i'm not doing that hey you know we're doing this they should try that and people can talk and figure out you know what's what works best when you create more options and when you allow for more competition of ideas in the marketplace of ideas better things happen than when you have a, a top-down imposed system being you know handed down from the so-called font of wisdom that is dc even though we all recognize they're a bunch of morons that can't even function outside of government that most of these people have never actually worked a job or run a business in their entire lives or if they did it was before any of us were born they have no clue what they're doing and yet we give them all this power and money to decide how we live our lives it has clearly failed give the power back to the people yep my uh, sister that's a teacher uh actually is watching right now and she commented and said thank you spike all caps i could cry so <laughs> yeah, she's you got super, one you got there. one she yeah <laughs> she is eating up everything you are saying right now yeah. um this is a little bit off i guess off the beaten path of our interviews going but we did kind of this... tease the story of you almost getting arrested in miami I yes. think it was. Uh, so yes. they kind of want to hear about that. Your, your guy is <laughs> it's not at the first, uh... It's not the only time I was almost arrested. I, I, so when I went into this campaign, I said, I am a, above all things, a, uh, a libertarian, uh, an anarchist, and a supporter of the people's natural rights, which I am watching being blatantly infringed upon every single day. I'm not going to try to get arrested. I might get arrested. Now, what's interesting is when you're running for high office in the third largest political party, they, they kind of can't arrest you. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting. They sort of can't. Like, I mean, no, I mean, if I tried to you know hurt someone, then yeah. But like, if I'm just being civilly disobedient, they kind of just stand there like they did in Miami. So here's what happened in Miami. We pull up in the bus. It's the final day of the bus tour. Uh, and we are pulling into Miami. We have an event venue in Calle Ocho, which is in the middle of Little Havana, uh, and it's an event uh, venue called uh, Cuba Ocho, 
which is like this museum and bar and grill. It's like an institution for the uh, Cuban American population in Florida and really just Florida in general. It's like one of the, you know, it's like a historical, uh, 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 it's an institution. And it's also like a very popular nightclub as well. Very, very Cuban. And so we, so, uh, so the, the plan was for us to do an event there with 50 to hundred people, the limit that was allowed in that building with the COVID restrictions. And, uh, and then we'd have a salsa party afterwards. So we'd have a, about an hour long event and we'd dance for an hour. And then we'd leave before the, the, the COVID imposed quarantine imposed, uh, uh, curfew. Uh, and then we'd probably just do it outside. But anyway, so, uh, sounds so like we, a happening we, party. <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm actually, you may not, I'm sure you can tell from looking at me, I'm actually a very accomplished salsa dancer. I was, I, I, was I, gonna I could see it in say, your eyes. Are you a salsa dancer? <laughs> I could see it in your eyes. I could like, see the, the fire. Salsa, the salsa event is very random if you're not like a damn good salsa dancer. Or I'm JoJo. a real, that's, so my wife and I are like actually very, very good salsa. And I know you're looking, you're like, this, this guy's pale skin and wiry hair tell me that he is a Latin dance extraordinaire. <laughs> so I, I probably, it probably wasn't a, a you know, uh, probably wasn't a big headline there but anyway so we pull up to the bus as we are pulling up we find out that uh they shut down the venue so keep no. in mind donald trump and joe biden were both in miami they were supposed to do a debate that day uh but because donald trump got covid uh they ended up doing competing town halls so the other two uh republicans were there we were in town. Now, we don't know if that's why it happened, but we know that seven police cars showed up and told Roberto, who owned the Cuba Ocho, while he was by himself, that he was violating COVID restrictions, even though he was in his own business by himself, which was closed, wearing a mask. <laughs> they shut him down. Okay. Obviously, and they shut. And this so, is pretty and he, late. And, and, and right? he's live streaming. What's that? This is pretty late. I mean, you're coming right up on the actual election. So you're like, what, oh, this was October 15th. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you so, must be like a month out. Yeah, not not even, like three weeks out. So they were getting nervous they, is what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> so they so they shut them down, but they shut them down for 24 hours. In other words, you can't do your event tonight. Wow. Okay? And they told them, if you shut, if you open, we will take your business license permanently and you will never do business in Miami ever again. Now, this is a man who fled communist uh, Cuba when he was younger, comes here and is now watching even worse restrictions being imposed upon him. As, as another business owner on Cuba, uh, on, on Cayocho put it to me, back in Cuba, we could have paid the cops off for a few hundred bucks. Here you have to have tens of millions of dollars to give to the politicians or you're screwed. Right. So anyway, we go, so, so we get there, we're on the bus. They say, yeah, you can't have the event. I said, who said that? They said, all the police that are out there. And I said, who do we have here? And they said, we got about 100 people here. And I said, do we have a loud, do we have a bullhorn? And they said, yeah, it's on the bus. I said, okay, so we'll do the event outside. So I go out and we just start doing, which is illegal, by the way. So you can't have large gatherings outside in, in Miami because of the lockdowns. And I said, well, the First Amendment applies here. So uh, if they want to, go ahead and contact uh, all the local media and tell them that the Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate is about to illegally uh, do a, an anti-lockdown rally and salsa party in front of the police uh, and that he might get arrested. And so I, I go out uh, and I had just finished doing a live stream with Gloria Alvarez, who's a very popular uh, uh, Latin American libertarian politician based in, uh, I believe, Honduras, Guatemala, somewhere Central America. And I hate that I don't remember that. And so I'm talking with her and I said, now, if everyone will excuse me, I'm going to go break the law. So I get up and I, 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 I come out, I, we get our, the bullhorn 
Uh, we go out, they're already chanting, you are the power, you are the power. And so I go and I go, who's ready for a revolution? Everyone loses it. And so we do a protest out there, which consists of me basically giving a small stump speech, but inviting people in the audience, the audience, the crowd that had gathered in this in this this corner of Cuba Ocho, the most trafficked corner of Cuba Ocho, or Cai Ocho, uh, and uh, inviting people to come up and talk about how the lockdowns have affected them. They are facing the police. We are inviting them to take a bullhorn and tell the police how these lockdowns are affecting them. The police are just standing there on the other side of the road, not sure what to do. Univision <laughs> shows up, uh, a bunch of other local media shows up, some, some uh, prominent Miami podcasters show up, and we just tell them what's going on. We'd say, go talk to Roberto and ask him how it's ruining his life. And so we, we you know, do all this stuff. And what ends up happening is it's outside. Everyone can hear us because of the acoustics of the area we're in with the bullhorns. One of the uh, participants has a giant speaker that we hook it up to. Oh, and let's we start go. having a salsa party. Thousands of people show up. <laughs> so this is a very busy night. So you're allowed to be outside. You just can't be in large groups. Well, here's the problem with that. When there are enough people out, you're effectively in a large group because there's just <laughs> that many people out. Yeah. And we're dancing salsa in the middle of Little Havana. And so everyone's stopping to wonder, wait, why are we dancing salsa? Oh, hey, I'll dance salsa because this is a salsa area. The next building over, they're dancing salsa. The next building over, they're dancing salsa. It's Miami. Like, it's on a Friday night. The salsa music and happens. So, people dance. It is and, what it is, right? And like, And, and they're just... like 80% of the people there know how to dance. So we're out there. I'm dancing with people left and right. We're having a lot of fun dancing. And we ended up, instead of being inside, if they had just let us stay inside, we would have interacted with 50 to 100 people, probably close to 100 people. But because we were outside, not only did we get to talk to, I think something, I think the final count was somewhere around 1,500 people that we that we interacted with. Not only were all of our volunteers, because I, 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 I deputized all the volunteers here. I said, now you're not just participants, you are now activists. Every single person that's coming up here, hand them Jorgensen Cohen stuff, hand them libertarian stuff. And it was, most of it was in Spanish. Hand them all this stuff and tell them why we're doing what we're doing. We had business owners come out, live stream what was happening, telling people to vote for Jorgensen Cohen. They didn't even know who Jorgensen Cohen were. They just knew that we were against the lockdowns that were destroying their lives and livelihoods, okay? So we ended up interacting with like 15 times more people than we had and it was because the police told us to, uh, uh, you know, told told us that you know they were going to give us a hard time, and we called their bluff, and they blinked, and we did our thing. And, nice. and, and that was that wasn't the only time that happened, but that was the biggest example of that happening, where the police would tell us you're not doing something, and I'd say hey, you haven't met libertarians before, and then we'd just <laughs> do it anyway. That's awesome. Uh, Spike's just vibing through the whole thing, man. He's right. just out there demonstrating the best fucking salsa skills in Little <laughs> right Havana. Right in front of the police. That was the best part of it, that there were police right there. And we were just like, you know what? And again, we were being – there's nothing more peaceful than salsa dancing. <laughs> like we aren't a threat to anyone. Everyone's having a great time. People that are walking by are engaging with it. I see a couple of you bobbing your heads there. You're having fun too. We're all having a good time. You know, and, and many people were wearing masks and, uh, you know, we were outside, which is much safer than being inside. So, I mean, we're Absolutely. all being safe. There was there was no super spreader event or anything like right. that. And we had a good time. And it was just a reminder to everyone that, you know, all this garbage about lockdowns and quarantines, it's not keeping us safe. We can get together and have a good time and exercise our rights to free association and free speech. And it's not hurting anyone. The only people it's hurting is the power structure that was put in place to control us and rob us every single day. And that's who I want to hurt. Yep. Yes, sir. You yes, have to sir. work out after this podcast, man. I'm telling you. I'm I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to sleep. I'm like, 
I'm going to be trying to rest my head tonight thinking, God damn it, I'm taking my power back. <laughs> I want my rights. <laughs> um, we also have a couple more questions. Um, the wording of this one was pretty funny, so I like it. Uh, <laughs> one of our viewers was like, well, he is a libertarian and I haven't heard any pot talk yet. So <laughs> I want to know your stance okay. on marijuana. And the drug war. So uh, let me let me let me tell you uh, my I'm personal perspective. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready, babe. Uh, I'm ready. The, uh, so I have been sober for 15 years, and I have no intention of getting high or drinking. I don't even drink coffee. I am I am I'm as straight at which is hilarious because I was like a major heavy drug addict for like many years. I am, and it's funny. I was a I was actually a Republican when I was on drugs. Um, but, uh, but take notes. I, I, I it, yeah. I, so as I became, as I got sober, I became, is that me? So is that me? <laughs> Looking at you, so, cocaine, Mitch. Yeah. Co- yeah, exactly. It was cocaine. Yeah. Mitch's fault. So, uh, so anyway, so I, I've been sober for 15 years. I, 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 I personally don't think getting high is really a good idea. Getting drunk is a good idea. It's one thing if you're doing it for medicinal reasons, but I, I just think there are better things you can do than get intoxicated. I say that as someone from the perspective of someone who had a drug problem, right? I was doing everything too. Like I was doing everything. And so here's why we need to end the war on drugs. Not because we want people to get high. We've seen what the war on drugs has done. We've actually seen what the war on drugs has done before the war on drugs. We saw it during alcohol prohibition. Mm-hmm. So they made alcohol illegal for some understandable reasons. Alcohol, people that are that are that have a drinking problem are often jo- more likely to be jobless. They're more likely to you know be engaging in spousal abuse. They're more likely to be in trouble with the law in general. They're more likely to be homeless. They're more likely to die earlier. And you know it was a very Christian country at the time, even more so than now. And they said it's it's immoral to be drunken. So we're gonna take we're gonna make it illegal. Drunkenness went up because now addicts who wanted to get help. We're violating federal law by it. We're, we're risking getting in trouble for violating federal law for even admitting they had a problem in the first place. So now they didn't even tell anyone. We now had cartels spring out of nowhere because they went and took what was a legal market that was being provided at stores and supermarkets and bars and everything else. And now it's being provided in the shadows by criminals who don't care what the law is. Now, stop me if any of this sounds familiar with what's happening now. I'm sure it doesn't. But what happened was you had a bunch of two-bit thugs who up until then, they were only making money on running the numbers and like a protection racket and stuff like that. And now these people overnight, seemingly overnight, definitely within a course of a year or two, became some of the wealthiest and most powerful people on the planet. Al Capone, Joe Kennedy, uh, the mafia, which up until then, they were a bunch of two-bit hoods, but they were given a multi- hundreds of millions of dollars a year business that they cornered the market on because they were the only ones who could do it. Mm-hmm, so they right. get into office. Now they're being violent, right? Now what used to be stores just competing for who you bought beer from by giving the best price. Now it's gangs that are fighting each other on the streets. The first acts of gun control happened after things like the St. Valentine's Day massacre, where hundreds of people were killed with machine guns across the country. And the politicians said, well, we certainly can't blame this on the war on alcohol. It's definitely the machine gun's fault. So here's what happens as a result of that. So, so now these, these, uh, these cartel people, well, they've got to stay in positions of power. So they bribe politicians so that uh, yep. they look the other way when they do their work. These politicians 
they put their preferred politicians in office, they pay off the cops. So now there's more corruption in government overall, not just when it comes to alcohol, but just with everything. Now the mob's calling the shots, which leads to more distrust, distrust between the average citizen and the government that's supposed to be serving them, as well as especially the police. So you have more danger, you have more criminal gangs, you have more addiction. Every single reason that they wanted to get rid of the war on, get rid of alcohol, it all got worse because you didn't get rid of the demand for alcohol, you just shifted the supply. That's exactly what's happened with the war on drugs. We've heard the stories of cartels working with the CIA to bring crack and other drugs into marginalized communities. What do you want to bet we're going to find out in a few years that the intelligence agencies were involved with bringing meth into rural America? What do you want to bet that there will be ties? We already know often that the U.S. military is protecting the poppy fields in Afghanistan. You literally you know keep this taking words out of my fucking Yeah, there's mouth, many dude. firsthand accounts I I from was... Marines that I know and stories I've heard that they were like, yeah, we just sat around a poppy field for no reason. Yep. Well, they're protecting it for the people who are giving them inside information. Yeah, yeah. So it's all fine. We're just protecting it for them so we can, in turn, get the inside information. And 60 Don't worry about it. It's fine. 60% of that poppy is going to be used uh, and distilled down to make synthetic opioids for Big Pharma anyway. So it's really just one <laughs> hand washes the other. And so here's what you have right now. We have an opioid overdose epidemic, which is exponentially worse during COVID restrictions yep. for many obvious reasons. But here's what's going on. You have someone who can't use cannabis for their pain management because lots of illegal, illegal stuff. So instead, they go to the doctor. The doctor says, I got you, fam. Here's some Percocets. Well, then the federal government says, nope, you can't have more than a certain number of Percocets for your entire life. So after a few years later, when they've reached their lifetime max, and the doctor goes, hey, sorry, man, you know that thing that we could have treated with cannabis and it wouldn't have been addictive and it probably would have been better with pain management and your pain's gotten worse over time because over time your sensitivity to pain goes up and your and your uh your uh your uh, your 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 requirement to t to take more opiates to be able to get the same effect what's the word I'm yeah like? resistance your resistance yeah. goes up to the opiates Tolerance, well now you can't yeah. have any so now they have to go and find street drugs so, or Ill illegal opiates. So the answer is you end the war on drugs. When you end the war on drugs, addicts can get help without fear of prosecution. People can help the addicts without fear of prosecution. The cartels go away because now this stuff can be sold by anyone. Now the government isn't getting all this bribe money uh, from the cartels anymore. And now the streets are safer because there's fewer gangs it's now being provided the same way alcohol is being provided. And frankly, alcohol is more dangerous than most of the drugs out there, with the exception of maybe heroin um, and, and, and I guess methamphetamines. And everything gets better. Does it end all addiction? No. Does it end all crime? No, of course not. But it makes things all better. The only people it hurts, again, are big pharma and powerful politicians, the police industrial complex, the police to prison because all these people are being put in jails and being used for their free labor. So it hurts that, it hurts that whole pipeline. It hurts Looking the, at you, Kamala. the American slavery. Yeah, yeah, Kamala <laughs> and, and Joe Biden, the one and who passed Biden all the too. rules that she yep. brutally enforced. It hurts powerful people who it cynically put these things in place precisely to lead to the outcomes that we have. And again, those are the people that need to hurt because they put the hurt on us. Take the power away from them and give it back to the people. Let people get the help that they need and the war on drugs. So there's a there's a max on the amount of Percocet that you can buy as opiates. A, so really, I did. FDA, I, this is FDA, new to me. Yeah. 
the FDA has a pain management limit. Uh, and, and this is actually a relatively recent thing. I think it was passed in the 2000s. And what it leads to, maybe even the 2010s, and what happens is you you reach your limit, and I don't know if it's an exact number of pills, but based or number of prescriptions or how they do it, but once yeah. you reach your limit, you're not getting it. And I think there's like a washout period of several years before you can do it again. You can't wash out when you're relying on drugs to keep from being that's in excruciating pain. That's right. literally the worst way you could treat someone is to prescribe them a drug and then over time their tolerance is going to build up. So you start giving yep. them more. And then yep. right when they're at the peak, sorry, you're out of time, but we'll give you a washout period. Like what the fuck? And there's you, nothing in place to, that, to help like, them get like, over the addiction that they, that the that like, medical industry has caused. It's like giving someone you, heroin and saying well, they're giving we'll them heroin. It's, heroin. it's literally heroin. heroin yeah it's the same it's the drug same yeah it, and saying well we'll put you on heroin and then we'll just give you more and more heroin over time but then when the clock's out the clock's yeah, out and sorry buddy you're out of time good luck yeah. with your withdrawal symptoms that could kill you like you know that's ridiculous do you that's know who crazy. this exponentially hurts veterans yeah I was yeah just gonna no 100 yeah, because there's plenty of yeah. veterans that would honestly benefit and this is why a lot of veterans at least the ones that i know that when they get out they just go right to find the nearest pot dispensary because they that don't want to get on drugs because they know yeah. how bad of a of an epidemic that it is that they get prescribed these pain pills and then you wonder why veteran suicide is up because the exactly. va doesn't give a shit about you you're addicted nope. to pain pills that the va finally said that you could have and then they tell you you can't have them anymore and you're now up the creek without a paddle on and your pain management. And those veterans, like many others, in order to be able to afford their illegal drug habit that they now have because they can't get it legally and they certainly can't get cannabis because that's illegal. Right. Now, and now, and at this point, it's irrelevant because they're addicted to heroin. Cannabis is, is going to be <laughs> uh, going to be a, a tough, it's going to be quite a step down, right? Right. It's helpful, yeah. but it's quite a step down. And yeah. so- and so they now start selling to be able to afford the heroin they use. So then they go to jail for being a, a drug dealer, which is why one out of every 12 people in prison is a veteran of this country's military. They signed up to protect and defend the Constitution and the American people from all enemies, foreign and domestic. They are often sent over overseas to fight on behalf of those foreign and domestic enemies. And then they come home, they're treated like garbage by this system. And then they are put into a situation that often lands them in jail where they now work as slaves for big businesses. This is, if there is any group, any single group that is the most maligned in, by the system that we have in place, it is those who have signed up to protect this country. And whatever you feel about our foreign policy, I am very, very anti-war. Whatever you feel about this government, I am very, very anti-government. The reality is the vast majority of people that sign up to protect and defend this country do so for a combination of one or two reasons. To protect the people that they care the most about and because they are in a financial position where they need to. And you are taking people and victimizing them. These powerful people are taking some of the best people among us, people who are willing to lay down their lives for those around us, for those that they care about, and treating them the absolute worst that anyone is being treated overall in this country. It makes the me sick. The reason that there are so many, the reason there are so many libertarian veterans and active duty military, I had so many people come to my events and say, listen, I can't say it because yep. I'm active duty and we're not allowed to talk about that kind of stuff. 
but I support you 100% and so does my entire unit, okay? The reason is because it no more than someone in the military knows just how much this government is screwing us all over. We're playthings for them. They they pump money into us and they chuck us across the ocean and when we're beaten and broken, they come back and they give us a pat on the back and a cookie and say thanks and then they but, don't care about you anymore. And don't forget it, about all the burn pits that they make you yeah, stand and around. You got, you yep, know, you got burn pits and you had all these health issues. Cancer, unfortunately. Yep, we have, That's crazy. You come back with health, health issues, busted joints, busted hearing, and they say thanks and take it to the VA. And the VA is like, ah, we could give a shit. And, and, and there yeah, you go. Cool. And you wonder why cool. veteran suicide is up to 22 plus a day. 23 a day at this point and and i i hate to think what it is right now when you couple that with the lockdowns because i can't imagine homeless shelters are shut down because they got to stay safe at home they don't have a home right they can't stay safe at home when they don't have a home anyway so the uh i I forgot what i was just about to say because that that stay safe at home thing that was clearly said by someone who doesn't understand the home the home security issues that are the 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 housing security issues that so many people in this country already had before the lockdowns and now you're telling the term is literally homeless so how are you going to ask them to stay home when stay safe outside of the shelter and the freezing cold yeah but at least you won't get covid so, um, I wish I could remember what I was just about to say. Uh, the, um, it was good really luck with good. hypothermia, but, uh, yeah, good luck. Stay with safe. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. Um, I've got one more question. Oh, actually we have, sure, we on. have, we have a few, but, uh, I was going to say how much longer do yeah, we let's, have? Spike? Yeah. I was going to say, let's, let's do one more. Cause I haven't, uh, I, I, my wife's going to start wondering if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to end today. Okay. I'm, All right. Yeah. yeah. We'll no, get, you're but, good, man. We'll get, yeah, we'll, we'll take one, one more question. We'll get and we this want one. to let you, uh, before we leave Ben, uh, promote your podcast and sure. your website and all that. 100%. Stuff. Yeah, yep. Uh, I was so, reading about that stuff today and I am uh, a subscriber. So. <laughs> we will, yeah, we'll get this <laughs> one question and, uh, and then, uh, we'll let you, we'll let you get out of here. So let me find it again. Oh goodness. I just lost. Oh yeah. So, uh, they want to know, uh, about the challenges that you face being a libertarian in a very bipartisan system? Uh, I think the biggest challenge is just getting in front of people. We have the best ideas. And when I would go to campaign events, we tried to gear them as much as possible to get non-libertarians out. So it's great to have supporters show up. And we'd have, in some cases, you know, hundreds of supporters show up at, at some of our events. Uh, which is incredible during a pandemic. Right. Uh, but we wanted even more people to show up who had no clue what the hell libertarianism was. So we would strategically drive the bus through like heavy residential areas. And, you know, they're looking at president. What do you mean running for president? Because this is, you know, Jorgensen going, Joe Jorgensen for president. It's got our face on it and everything. And big blue bus. And it's like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And then we would we would ask the, the local, you know, affiliates and activists who helped put the events together, really put the events together to advertise just randomly out in the community so that people in the community knew what was happening. Then we try to set up in areas that were near residential communities and set up the, the acoustics of the speaker system and everything so that it would just reverberate through the towns and people were like, what the hell is that? What's that guy talking about? And get them to come out. And what was cool was watching people who had no idea what a libertarian was. And they'd ask these questions. What's your position on education? What's your position on healthcare? What's your position on immigration? What's your position on trade? What is, whatever. And we, I'd answer it. And they'd go, 
That's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Our ideas make sense when we connect, when we when we present them in a way that connects with everyday normal people. I, I'm different than a lot of libertarians in that I don't start by talking about natural rights and property rights and things like that. That's how we talk to each other. Most people don't care about property rights. For that matter, most people don't care about taxes. Most people care about, am I going to be able to afford health care? Is my kid going to be able to get a good education and be able to thrive in life? Uh, am I going to lose my job? Uh, you know, am I going to be able to afford food? Uh, am I allowed to go outside? Like the, these are things that people care about, and they're not worried about the 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 often uh, philosophical and ethical framework that most libertarians tend to tend to think with it. So I would lead with how it benefits people. And then if I had the opportunity to, I could bring them into the idea behind why our ideas work and make sense uh, and, and get them into the philosophy. But usually at these events, I just focus on telling them what our ideas were. We don't need to argue with people. We are better than Democrats on things that their voting base care about. We are better than Republicans on things that their voter base cares about. And for that matter, we're better than the, the centrist establishment politicians on the things that moderate voters care about. Their concerns across the political spectrum are valid and understandable. So why the hell are we arguing with them? If we have the best ideas and their concerns make sense, let's just meet them where they are as often as we can in their spaces and from their precepts and then empathize with their concerns, demonstrate that we understand what's going on, explain to them how we got here and then take them on the journey for how our common sense libertarian solutions will fix the problems and make them better than they're, that, they're, that they're facing, that were created by the people that are in positions of power. Because remember, most people, most voters, even most Democrat and Republican voters realize that Republicrats suck. They just don't know anyone else to vote for. That's why half of voters don't even vote anymore. Right. They're registered to vote. They do not vote because they recognize that there's, you know, that that there's no good option. Well, we're the good option. Our only challenge is getting in front of them. If my biggest challenge is to be able to find people and talk to them, I'd much rather that be my problem than, for example, like if our ideas sucked or something, right? I've been in sales and, and business ownership for uh, 22 years now, something like uh, almost it will be 23 years this year. Oh, damn, I'm old. You're and old. so uh, I'm old. I'm an old, old Crazy. man, right? And so I no handlebar mustache or anything. And, yeah. and, work, and work on that, would you? We'd like to have you what? back. And the next time you come back, we'd like a handlebar, handlebar, a handlebar mustache. mustache. Yes, please. The, the, yes. The good thing is I am a Jewish hobbit and can grow a full beard <laughs> inside of a week. So I, I easily have a handlebar mustache by the Bang. end of the month. Amazing. By the, by the, Book by the it right now. So, Book it. So what I, what I, lear I, <laughs> so what I learned is if your biggest challenge is to get in front of people, well, then you know what your work is ahead of you. So what my work is ahead of me right now is to get this message out to as many people as possible, to work at the grassroots level with everyday activists and candidates across this country, many of whom I've already met during the campaign and many more I can't wait to meet, to grow their local affiliates, to employ this type of messaging and, and this way of, of making friends and influencing people, to bring people into the movement. Because once we get our name out there in a substantive way, there's no stopping our ideas. They are the best ideas. They make the most sense and our opponents suck. Not just at messaging, but what they've actually done. All they can stand on is by playing good cop, bad cop with each other. Yep. Oh, I know I'm not that great, but you can't, you can't get that guy. You gotta vote for me. I, oh, I know I'm not that great, but that guy might win. 
and they do it intentionally. And all it took, the reason I did so well tonight in the, in the panel that I was on is because the other two were used to doing the thing they always do. The Democrat says how bad the Republican is and the Republican says how bad the Democrat is. And then I say, yes, agreed, you both suck. Let's talk about solutions. This is how we get our ideas out there. So my message, my closing message to you is this. We are the remnant. If you feel like things are hopeless, if you feel like, you know, it's just, you know, we're always outgunned and, and overwhelmed. Think of every major movement that has ever happened in this country or any other that has resulted in a successful improvement of the human condition as a result of it. The Civil Rights Act, the anti-slavery uh, uh, anti-slavery movement, the Civil Rights Movement, any movement in any country, the, 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 the movement that led to the Magna Carta, the Peasant Revolt in England, anything that led to that, it always started with a small handful of people who knew just how outgunned and outnumbered they were, who knew how, just how hopeless it looked, but they kept fighting because they realized that the only alternative to continuing to fight was to just shrug their shoulders and go, well, I guess this is the way it's gonna be. And that was unacceptable to them. So if you ever feel hopeless, know that when we succeed, when liberty wins, when we end the Fed, when we end the wars overseas, when we end the war on drugs and the war on guns and the war on victimless crimes and everything else, when we set people free from literal and figurative cages, when we reopen America, when we have succeeded, when we built a life and a future that is not just safer and freer, but also happier and healthier and better for our children and their children and their children, it will be because of you. It will be because of that small, scrappy, a uh, stubborn handful who said, I don't care what the odds are. I'm going to keep fighting until I win. And that's what we're going to do. We are going to get out there. We are going to spread this message. And by the time we're done, every single American in this country, and for that matter, everyone else in this world will know that they do best when they are most free. And that the only way that we can get what we want is to take these people out of power and take our power back. When I say that you are the power, that means that you, we working together have the power to stop all of this nonsense from happening and to make ourselves more free. Now, Hell yeah. Ready? Hell yeah. Let's go. Y'all, if y'all aren't fired up right Where's now, I don't know what it's going to take. Where is it Hell at, yeah. baby? I'm ripping this shirt off. I'm running through a brick wall. <laughs> I don't know what happens Let's tonight. go. I'm doing it. I'm chugging great. 10 more beers and talking about freedom all night. I'm going to buy a Joe Jurgensen <laughs> spike corn flag and just start running. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I, I had a Gary Johnson sign out in front of my yard when he ran. And that's when I really first started paying attention to it. That's and then awesome, I was man. like, man, uh, this is fucked, dude. I, uh, lesser of two evils. Yep. And then now there lesser no of two evils. No. And now lesser of two evils. Why don't people vote for the third part? We can't... did our damnedest throughout the election when all that stuff kicked off this year, right, at, right around the time we heard. started our podcast. I'm, I'm we... sure you get sick of hearing people all the time say, well, that's a wasted vote. That's a wasted vote. I'm like, motherfucker, that's my vote. I don't care. Well, so, yeah. what, here's that's the answer crazy. to that. Here's what I tell them. I go, what did you vote for? And they'll tell me and I'll say, did you get that? And then while they're struggling to answer that, I'll say, well, they're not struggling. They know the answer is no, but they're struggling how they're going to respond to that. I'll say a wasted vote is voting for the people who created the mess that you're in and hoping that this time the fox won't let the the, 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 the fox, won't, the head fox won't let the other foxes into your head house. That, you that say that this again time, so I can write it down. 
Um, it, <laughs> a, no, a, wa a wasted vote is voting for the people who created the mess and hoping in vain that this time that they'll actually fix it when they have no incentive to do so. And I had people that said, okay, fine, you know what, I'll vote for you this time. And, uh, you know, what I also like doing was I would, I would have events and people go, you know what, you made the most sense, but I've got to stop Joe Biden. And then I meet someone else at the event and they say, you know what, you make the most sense, but I've got to stop Donald Trump. And I say, whoa, whoa, I'm going to introduce you to someone. And so I'd introduce them and go, you guys can agree to just vote for me and cancel each other out, you know, voting for lesser evil. You can just both both vote for, for, for me and Joe and, and whether they did or not, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> so folks, you know, and, and I appreciate you guys for having me on, uh, Ben and Alex. Um, my, uh, if, if people want to continue following me, uh, if you look for Spike Cohen on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, uh, I'm on TikTok for the kids. Uh, <laughs> I got to get those zoomers me. engaged. Uh, you got to get 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 the handlebar mustache zoomers out there, man. Uh, uh, hey, but ben, ben downloaded a TikTok for I the do. first time this week. I and did. I've been I giving was on him unrelentless amounts of this, shit about this it. It's true. <laughs> I have been on it. I was on a, a debate show with, I think combined their ages were more than mine. One of them was 15. And... <sighs> And he was talking to me about like praxis and paleoconservatism. I'm like, <laughs> anyway, so uh, my, my shows. What are, are you my doing with your time? <laughs> right. Like what? When I was 15, I was so high. But was, <laughs> I was really good at Halo. Uh, I played a lot of it. video games and I ran around <laughs> outside of my bike. I played uh, GoldenEye 007 until my thumbs were sore. Praxis? What are you talking about? What, anyway, what are you doing? So, what are these kids? There's a problem with these kids. These anyway, kids. So, uh, so my shows are on Muddied Waters Media. Uh, my fellow Americans on Wednesdays at eight and the muddy waters of freedom on Tuesdays at eight. That's Eastern. And, uh, yeah, if you want to check me out, muddy waters media is also on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, YouTube and Instagram, and also on all the podcasting apps. Uh, so any podcast system that you use, uh, you can find us there as well. So yeah, spike Cohen or muddy waters media. That's how you can reach me. And, and I appreciate you guys for having me on. So hey, we appreciate you for coming on. Uh, when Alex told me a couple weeks ago that this was happening, we both lost our minds and, uh, it was, it, it's, it's, ben, it's ben, awesome. Don't, don't, don't reveal that side. Oh, of sorry. Us. We, were, we were, we were, we were super cool about it. <laughs> we, we were very cool about it. Going? We're fine. <laughs> That's a big get. You were just, you know, you were, you were, you were uh, uh, eager for the big get. It's not a fanboy thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, in all reality, get. all reality, we're not the biggest podcast in the world, but we really, really do appreciate you taking the time. 100%. And uh, when I said you have to come back again, that's a given um handle that wasn't mustache. that wasn't a that wasn't like a question that was like we will I'll, have you on again i'm being detained <laughs> i'm like you have yeah. to come back yeah 100 yeah, percent. i'll talk okay. to your guy about the mustache yeah, talk to brian we'll, yeah. yeah we'll figure out the uh the terms and conditions of your contract next time right with the mustache, but that sounds good well thank you guys so much all right man. well they appreciate it and uh, again congratulations on that syndicate thing and and we'll we'll do our best to keep spreading the good word as well that means a lot to me thank you I appreciate right, it, Spike. We'll see you later. Bye. Have a good night, guys. You too.